What's up internet? I hope you're all doing okay out there in the big wide world of three people who have probably heard this. Hope you're all doing well. This is the Let's Talk Fantasy Podcast with Jake, the random man in the shed. And today we're going to be talking about the wonderful wild world of The Witcher, which is, you know, full of sunshine and rainbows and isn't dark and depressing in the slightest. But first, there's a slight bit of news about The Witcher. Now this was going to be recorded a few weeks ago, so I'm a bit behind, but... Season 2 of the Witcher TV show has been announced, which is great. For the, I think it was the 17th or 18th of December, one of those numbers. Part 2 of the news is there's rumours in the internet sphere that they are now hiring for The Witcher 4. However, that is just rumours based on CD Projekt Red hiring, which is quite unsubstantiated. If you read clickbait, you'll have heard this. The other bit is... The Nightmare of the Wolf, the animated Witcher movie, has uh, been released yesterday, which was the 25th of August. So, I haven't had a chance to watch that yet, because unfortunately I've been at work, but that, that might be good. I haven't. I don't know. I'll probably watch it today and give my impressions next week. But with that being said, let's move on to the intro music. Ah, intro music. I like it. It's called Viking Ship. You can actually find it if you just um, Google free-to-use or license-free music. It's called Viking Ship. I'm sure if you put that Viking Ship music, you'll find it. It's a great tune. I'll have to actually um, see who made it at some point and probably credit it properly. But moving along to the point of this episode, as I said, it's about The Witcher. So this isn't going to be... A specific, a specific podcast about a specific topic. It's going to be a broad overview of the world. So, with that being said, the most logical place to start would be the start of the story, which is an event called the Conjunction of Spheres. Now, the Conjunction of Spheres, within the world of The Witcher, was a major event, and it is kind of the root cause of everything that goes on and wrong and right, and just brilliantly with the, with the world, with the continent. So the whole story takes place in what they call the continents, the main continent. It contains the Nilfgaardian Empire, the Northern Kingdoms, and it's the focal um, setting for the story. So if you've played The Wild Hunt, you'll know Velen, you'll know Novigrad, blah, 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 blah. Places, names, things. But first, the conjunction. So what the conjunction was is a merging of different universes within the multiverse of The Witcher. So people who are familiar with stories that share that kind of theme of multiversal travel, in fact... A direct comparison that's not too aged would actually be Marvel's Fall of Dark World, whose plot focuses around this merging of different uh, dimensions and universes. It's the focal point of the story. If you've watched that, you'll perfectly understand what I'm about to go yammering on about. So, in essence, the world of The Witcher was originally populated simply by dwarfs, gnomes, and some other lesser races. So, various flora and fauna. Didn't that sound fancy? Flora and fauna. Fanciness. At which point this event known as the Conjunction of Spheres happens. I'm going to get to what happens before that later because it's relevant to a very specific group. So the universes merge and the world is suddenly populated with horrible fantastical creatures, ghouls, uh, the undead, graviers, which are a kind of ghoul, vampires, uh, other creatures of magic. But probably the most relevant one was the coming of humans into the world of the Witcher because they uh, went on to become the dominant species. So there's not a lot to say about the conjunction, unfortunately, because, and it is one critique I have with The Witcher, it has wonderful world building, but not enough of it. It's very, very difficult to find information about the world and the lore pre-Geralt of Rivia, pre the focal point of the story. I actually think it could probably do with, like, a prequel book series or a prequel show just to show us a bit more of this uh, this history. But suffice it to say, eventually, you know, the humans split off and formed kingdoms. While this was happening, the vampires also came in and formed their own crews. I'm going to say crews, it's a bad word. Houses would be a better word. Which they already had within their own home world. Home world is a weird way of putting it. I think home dimension would be a more appropriate and they splintered off and started doing various lovely, horrible, lovely, murdery things to each other and other people. But that's the main gist of the conjunction, so there's not a lot to say about it, because we don't really know 
if it's a well, we it's kind of recurring. It's kind of not. So there has been a second conjunction. I mean, that's what Wiki tells me at least. I know nothing about this. That led to a mass exodus of the elves from the continent. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Now, what this did was it took the dwarves and gnomes away from the majority and put them in a minority because it was their world and they, you know, lived in it and used it as they saw fit within the Mahakam mountain range. So that's also the name of the primary city of the dwarves. Although the gnomes and dwarves did have other colonies at that sort of time period. But then everyone else showed up and kind of just said, no, you can stay there now and not do anything else for the rest of the time. You know, just chill. Just chill, guys. No, there's no need for all of this nonsense. So... That was like a brief rundown of the conjunction of spheres, which honestly I thought was going to take longer to talk about, but there's there's just not a lot to it. It's a very, very vague thing, unfortunately. So there's kind of a big gap in lore at this point, because from what I've been trying to research, I've been trying to research like, you know, the complete history, which is really, really hard because... Between the dwarfs settling on the continent and the conjunction of spheres, about 2,000 years passes with just not a lot going on. And even after the conjunction of spheres, there's something like 500 years, I think, between anything of like real note. Like The main thing that happens of note in that period is actually the Nordlings, humans, uh, arriving in the north of the continent and they begin to set up their kingdoms <clears throat> so they've got the kingdoms of the big ones would be I think it's pronounced Redania Cadewin, Adern and Temeria which are the sort of big boys, big boys of the group and they form independent states and yeah, all is well, they chill in the south there's different nations so Nilfgaard at the time, uh, I mean moving up this is a big Big time gap, but at the time of um, all of this going on, Nilfgaard are, are kind of viewed as a bit savagey and just not that great at anything. They sort of view them as sort of tribesmen. In fact, if you watch The Witcher, uh, Queen Calanthe goes on a massive rant about how awful they are. Just generally, I mean, admittedly, she loses, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, arrogance has its place in the nobility. Now I know what you're thinking, oi, idiot in the shed. When are you? Why is it called The Witcher? When are you going to talk about the actual Witchers? And I'm going to say. Patience, but right now, because right now is appropriate. At some point, man decided that, Joe, you know what? These monsters have a bit of an unfair advantage. They are bigger, they are stronger, they are tougher, and a lot of them are magical. Not all of them are inherently magical. <clears throat> Big distinction to make is that some of the monsters you can kill with steel. If you've played the game, I know what you're thinking. Well, you have to use a steel sword to kill them all. That is incorrect. Some of them, such as um, Kikimoras, which we see in the TV show, can be killed with a steel sword. It is only creatures that are inherently magical that have to be killed with silver. So, monsters. Oh, there's a lot of monsters that can be killed with steel. I mean, a witcher must have a lot of homework and a lot of reading to do. More than I'd be willing to do. I mean, I couldn't be a witcher. I'm quite apathetic, but not quite... I don't grunt or say fuck as much, sadly. Wish I could be like Geralt. Anyway, so, humanity gets tired of being hunted by horrible creatures. I mean... A village of people of 30 strong men will go out to kill a pack of drow five drowners. Two men will make it back to the village. It's really unfair. The advantage humans had is the ability to build a civilization and build walls to protect themselves. Which, in the second book, Yennefer references as to why dragons are so deadly to civilization as a whole. Because they are the only monster at the time that is able to obliterate a city. I mean, later on we find higher vampires are also able to do such things because they're essentially unkillable. But that is a topic for another day, children. I know, I, I know, be patient. So, they came up with the idea of witchers. Magically and mutatedly augmented people. They go through horrible, horrible trials, which I'm going to talk about today. And they are the premier monster slayers. They are stronger, they are faster, they have better reflexes, they have better sight, they're just better than people in every way, and their sole purpose in life is killing monsters. Yeah, terrible girl impression, so unhappy with myself. So, the main focal point of the story is the Witcher, Geralt of Rivia, the main Witcher, the Mac Daddy Witcher, but he's, he's not the only Witcher. 
There, just to name the school of the wolf that exists at the time of, say, the Wild Hunt, because it's the easiest reference point I think for most people who who are interested in listening to this. It would be Lambert, Eskel, Vesemir, and Geralt. Ciri's not a witcher. She never underwent the trial of grasses, which is what makes someone a witcher. She's just ridiculous in her own right and in her own power. So, yeah, that, that, that they are what they say on the tin. Their whole purpose is, I'm going to kill monsters, you're going to pay me. And that is what they are. They're mercenary monster hunters. Although they were created with the best of intention of, ah, oh, we'll kill monsters. Eventually, they're kind of segregated and shown a lot of disdain and hatred by human society who begin to sort of grow against the idea of witchers as more monsters die out and there's less monsters prevalent in civilised lands to prey on the people witchers become less and less important and less and less uh, involved in events so by the time of the last wish Geralt even mentions it in uh, one of his talks with I can't remember her name I think it's Lenica maybe I'm going to be wrong on that, I guarantee it, but you know, I don't have a list of names in front of me anymore because I had to open a different tab, which is unfortunate. Anywho, don't want to break rhythm here, but because there is less monsters, there's less need for witches, people stop seeing why they should exist and they turn against them, if you will. Now, in some places they are received quite well, particularly places where they've helped previously. Um, some of them, not so much. So Geralt, for instance, is not allowed to go back to the village of Blaviken because of a massacre that took place there of a bunch of folks. Um, there's witches who don't get paid for their work. They're driven out of town. They're viewed as scum, mutants, not human. I mean, they kind of are human, but they're not. They're... The way I view it is they are the maximum potential any human could be physically. They are almost a race of supermen unto themselves. That's not to say they're unkillable or unstoppable. You can kill a witcher in a sword fight. It's just really hard if you're like an average swordsman. And if you get a jump on them, they can kill them. Yeah, they're not. They're a bit more sturdy than normal people, but they're not superhumanly sturdy. A good sword thrust through the chest will put paid to a witcher. I mean, if you want to skip paying a witcher, that will put paid to a witcher. Ha ha. Jokes for days. I have no charisma. Unlike Geralt, who is full of charisma just by going, hmm, fuck, at people. I don't know how he does it, quite frankly. But that's the main of the witches, is that they're just hated and reviled, and a lot of them are killed and hunted down. In fact, Kaer Morhen, the fortress of the School of the Wolf, is burnt down by um, a local lord and a bunch of peasantry because they just go, oh, there's horrible things taking place up there, which it kind of is. I mean, it's very torturous for a lot of people, and... Not a lot of people survive to become a witcher. They are mostly taken as very small children. They are trained and taught how to fight monsters. They learn all about monsters, alchemy, the basic magics witches employ called signs, which in theory anyone could do if they learnt them. You don't have to have a huge magical talent. But they're very limited compared to actual sort of sorcery. That's a good word, sorcery. So... The Trial of Grasses is the main killer of Witcher recruits, as far as I can find. And that is essentially the process by which they gain their mutations. So, if you've seen any pictures of the Witchers, they will have cat's eyes. That's one of their mutations, uh, is that they're able to see in the dark, but they have those creepy eyes. And many, many Witchers die undertaking the Trial of Grasses, where they're just injected with horrific amounts of mutations and mutagens and alchemies, a lot of which are very poisonous. And I think Vesemir mentioned somewhere in the Wild Hunt something like two out of ten people will survive that to become Witchers. That's not the only trial they face. Uh, particularly the School of the Wolf and the Bear have a very similar one called a Trial of the Mountain, where for the Wolf... They have to sneak through a uh, cave that contains an old cyclops. Now, these are young kids. They're not going to be able to kill a cyclops. And then they have to work their way past some suspicious trolls and gain uh, uh, an elemental stone. And that attunes to their amulets, and they basically become witches at that moment. The school of the bear is a bit more brutal, and a lot more of them die doing it in that they have to climb a mountain with a stone gorgon and many of them perish on the way up the mountain just frozen to death and their aim is to get a different stone 
and bring it back and be like, hey guys, I brought it back. Can I join the club now and get the free t-shirt? The third main trial was the Trial of Dreams, where they are launched into a meditative, psychogenic state. There's normally a druid or sorceress, mage, person person present. And this unlocks their true potential, essentially. It unlocks their mind's potential and their sight's potential. However, for reasons I don't understand, they are left sterile, because all witches, much like all sorceresses, are in fact infertile. How do they get kids? Well, within the world of the Witcher, there is a tradition among the laws of men named the Law of Surprise, which binds you by destiny to someone in rare cases. So, the way the law works is they must give you what they have but don't know about. So if you save a man's life and demand Law of Surprise, you are to take something from his home that he has gained but does not know. This could be a puppy that's been had while he's been traveling it could be part of his new crop or in the most famous of cases it is a child such as in the case of uh, princess cirilla and princess pavetta her mother weirdly enough man family traditions are great so Geralt of rivia claims law of surprise and it so happens that siri is well gonna be born later and he's like oh fuck got a child now brilliant so that's kind of how they recruit. Law of surprise. Give me your kid. He's going to be a witcher. Or dead. One of the two. There's only really two options here. So that's kind of the really harsh way they get children recruits. It's one of the ways. There are also, you know, rumours, theories. Uh, it says in the law somewhere that they also sometimes steal children. Which I wouldn't put past them because the witchers, as part of their mutations, lose all ability to feel emotions. Which would be great, let's face it. It might not be, I'm, I am joking entirely. I think having no emotions would probably be pretty dull. But that is a crux of them. They, they lose the ability to feel, which is all a lie. Because they do in fact feel, it's just very, very muted as part of their mutations. They can feel sad or happy or angry. They're, they have the full emotional spectrum, just less of it. So... If you see a witcher in town and he looks angry, he's feeling anger. Don't know where you'd see a witcher. Maybe go to Comic-Con. There might be one or two there. Assuming any Comic-Cons are open, I think they will be by the end of this year, which is going to be great for everyone. So, another thing about the witchers is that there's actually quite a lot to talk about with the witchers. So I'm just going to break these down now into smaller points of just sort of a one to whatever number I get to. Because like I've said before, this isn't scripted. I've got a little page of general notes in front of me. That's about it. And my notes say things like, X person is a motherfucker. Talk about it. That's how good my note taking is, folks. I rely entirely on my shit memory. So, one. The witches do have a rudimentary magic, which has its uses. It's called signs. So, they have Uridin which slows things down and does various things. It's different. Some of them are different in the books and some are different in the games. So I'm going from the Wild Hunt again because I think it's the one people are most familiar with. I know a lot of you have probably read the books, all two of you, but the game, let's face it, is the most famous part of the Witcher media right now. They then have Quen or Keen or Queen, depending on your pronunciation or pronunciation. Haha, got you with that one, didn't I? which is a magical barrier. Now, this varies as well. It is either a dome-like shield or a personal barrier uh, to protect you against harm. Igni is ignition, because easy to remember, uh, where you make fire. You've got Ard, which is just a force of concussion energy. Then you have Axi, Axii, depending again on your pronunciation. If you listen to the audiobook on Audible, you're going to hear a lot of wrong enunciations, like a dandelion awful anyway axi is a it's not mind control it's almost like suggestion so it's not powerful enough to be a mind control but it it just sort of goes hey man maybe just tell me what i want to know and they're like oh yeah sure man uh rather than bribing people because bribing is wrong children and the final sign is heliotrope aha got you of that one bet you didn't believe me when i said i've been reading i have heliotrope Geralt uses a few times in The Last Wish. Once he uses it to block Yennefer's attack when she launches a magical attack against him. 
I think he uses it against. Okay, I'm pretty sure about this one. He uses it against a Broxar that's uh, attacking him. Broxars are female higher vampires. They're very powerful and very hard to kill. It's a great time to be around. I mean, like I said, it's a wonderful world full of things that won't hurt you for fun. Number two about the Witcher, because we're past signs now, is that, as said before, they are stronger, faster, and better than you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Their strength, although not like, you know, lifting 10-ton boulders, they can overpower a man with comparative ease. You'd have to be a very, very strong man to bare-knuckle box a Witcher. Their sight is better and sharper, as is their hearing and their smelling. They are faster than you. As In regards to actual movement speed, reactionary speed for me is something different, because you have normal speed, which is how fast I can run and swing, and reactionary speed, which is how fast my brain processes information uh, to stimuli. So, yeah, smart words. I didn't know what any of them meant. So, they're also faster reactively, so I don't know why I bothered making the distinction. They have other abilities, especially uh, according to school. So, witches at a school of the cat tend to be a lot more graceful, flexible, and uh, have superior balance to other witches. But like, that is more personal training than actual you know, mutation ability. Number three about the witches. They are very good alchemists and they can consume potions that would kill a lesser man. And by lesser man, I mean pretty much anyone. So the most famous examples would be Swallow, which is a restorative potion. Thunderbolt, which increases their attack power in a video game. Pretty sure it does in the book as well. And Cat, which we get a very vivid description of Cat in The Last Wish, where it describes how... Geralt's face turns chalky white and his pupils dilate to cover his entire uh, eye. His eyes go black because his pupils have expanded so much, which allows him to see in the dark perfectly. Now, we're told any of these potions consumed by a normal man would spell instant death. Or well, not instant, but a slow, agonising, painful death, but I thought I'd try and lighten the mood by making it instant. Because Don't you just feel joyful listening to this, all this talk of death? Anywho... They also have numerous poisons and oils at their disposal with which to fight the magical horrible monsters and even the monsters that are men. Uh, for example, the first, ma uh, first monster, I should say, Geralt kills, is a man who was trying to have his way with a lovely young lady. And the reward he got out of it is quite spectacular. Uh, the lady screamed and called him a monster. <laughs> ah, gratitude. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. By the way, I do apologise if there's a little... Little pause now and then, so I'm just gonna have a little sip of my beverage now and then. Nice little, nice little delicious bit of water. Because I'll be honest, I've been talking. I know this is only 22 minutes long so far. I've done at least 40 minutes at this point where I've just been like cutting me forgetting what words are out. So I get my mouth gets a bit dry. I like, I like, I like a little drink now and then. So <clears throat> moving along, I'm gonna move away from the witches. We're going to move away from them. They're going to get their own episode. I'm going to talk all about all of the witches in a different episode. Don't you worry. I'm, I've got your back, bro. And we're going to move on to trying to explain the messy, not very well explained, chaotic magic that is in the world of the witcher. And by magic, I mean the kind, the sorcerers, the sorceresses, the druids, the cheese wizards. Hello, Luna. Sorry, my dog just walked in. That's what you're hearing right now. I'm just going to quickly pause this. Three, two, one, and you're back in the room. I do apologise. It's just, it, it's going to happen, guys. I, I'm not going to just tell my dog she can't come in this room. So the chaotic magic from the Witcher, it stems, one, from the conjunction of spheres brought magic to the world, although it's, again, a bit vague whether magic was already there. So the magic exists within a force called Chaos. Chaos. I don't know why I said it like that. It just felt right. So, chaos is kind of the embodiment of magic. It is what is harnessed to create magic. Now, I could compare the magic of the Witcher primarily to Warhammer, the Winds of Magic. Uh, I could compare it to Castlevania, the animated series. I, that's actually not a bad one because a lot of the magic in Castlevania it comes from the intent of those casting it which is how a lot of magic within the Witcher happens from sorceresses particularly those that aren't trained they're just putting their will into the world at large and making shit happen so yeah if you've watched the Castlevania animated series on Netflix you'll kind of get that comparison whereas I compare it to the Winds of Magic and Warhammer is because they are both just primal forces of chaos 
So I'm going to just say exactly what I read this morning, which was chaos is the opposite of order. And then I tried finding out more about order. So I thought, oh, is there a whole thing I don't know? Is there like some other kind of different kind of magic that opposes this? And it just basically said order opposes chaos. And that's all I was able to find about it. So I don't know if we're ever going to get an explanation for things like that. This is what I mean when I say the Witcher's world building is great, but also kind of bad. Because it's almost like a lot of these things need to be fleshed out more. So we, we, we have more information about them all. But it is what it is. I'm not going to criticise the guy who wrote it. I mean, I do know his name. I can't pronounce it, which is really embarrassing. Sometimes I struggle to, you know, get words. So, yeah, you've probably heard me stumble a few times already. But I would just like to see more lore predominantly about the magic, just to, like, get a, get a feel for it, to see how it works. But the way it essentially works is someone who is magically attuned to the world will tap into this force called chaos and they will use that to craft their spells. Um, this can be overdone and people die and bad things happen and they explode and wither and terrible, terrible things happen to them. The trick for them to controlling it apparently is to just maintain control. Be like, be like water, my friend. Um, and just be kind of neutral, almost like shun their feelings to get things done. However... We see the result of what happens when you let go at the end of season one of the Witcher TV show, where Yennefer, spoiler alert, kills an entire army with fire while just reeing angrily at them. Awesome scene. But the magic seems really inconsistent to me in terms of what it is able to do. But I accept it. I've just moved moved on with my with my interest at that point. I'm still there watching it and enjoying it and just like, oh, well, I don't even care that it's inconsistent because, damn, these visual effects are okay. But that is what it is. So the world of magic, normally, this is something I like, by the way. Normally elves are the arbiters of all things magical. These magic better than everyone. I actually like that in The Witcher, humans are better with magic. It's a refreshing change of pace for the high fantasy, sword and sorcery kind of genre. I just had to get that off my chest before I forgot I wanted to say it. So, returning to the original point I was trying to make before I got myself all sidetracked and tangented and distracted, I'm just going to say it's going to happen every now and then. I'm very easily distracted by like, oh, a butterfly, things like that. So, mentally prepare yourselves for me to sort of drift away from the point. So, the way magic is organised within the sort of human society. Originally, it was known as the Brotherhood of Sorcerers, which had its home base in a place called Aratusa, which was a large citadel, I'm going to call it, a large building, a structure, that was supercharged with magic. Uh, it was a perfect focal point for their powers of chaos and magic and goodness. And what this establishment essentially had responsibility for was to be political and magical advisors to the northern realms although they did eventually send uh, people to Nilfgaard most notably Fringilla who we will talk about another time because I'm not going to go through a list of every sorceress right now um, it will get too long I'll spend an entire podcast worth of time just talking about that but they went to Nilfgaard they went to all the northern kingdoms so that was a thing, and because they were so long-lived, they tended to make good decisions, generally, because they knew better. But they were also very powerful magically, varyingly. So obviously some people were very powerful, like Yennefer, Philippa Eilhart, whose name I just messed up twice, which is great. I love that I do this in one long take and don't script it. Um, so there are powerful sorceresses and sorcerers like Vilgefortz, who is a very notable uh, character. We'll talk about him another time. I'm thinking I might just do an episode about the the lodge of sorceresses, which it later became, and the Brotherhood of Sorcerers, and just talk about the notable ones there. But we're going to do a little rundown. So they were advisors to kings in the northern realms, and they generally did so with great success, except in the kingdom of Sintra, which didn't want anything to do with them. They're like, no, we, we're independent. We don't have anything to do with you. We are the jewel of the north. We are the greatest. Is that a Nilfgaardian army coming? Oh, we're dead. That's how good they were. Damn it. And I stand by that. Um, 
So they did not have a magical advisor, although they didn't mind druids, who were kind of independent and did their own thing. They were pretty chill dudes. They are just like, well, I'm just going to chill and get drunk, mate. Don't need, don't need all this fancy school learning. Who needs school learning? When are we going to learn English? Nah, I don't need it. But that's, in essence, what their role was. Beyond that, they also could just do other things. We see them selling magical goods, spells, just general things like that. The general practice of magic itself. But overall, they were more the governing political body that they were. Now, prior to the events of the Witcher video games, the Brotherhood of Sorcerers disappears. It breaks up completely. And is replaced, in part, by a more secret organisation called the Lodge of Sorceresses, which is primarily female. And they act in the sort of same capacity as the Brotherhood did, but more secretively. It's a secret organisation. Uh, it was formed by this uh, sorceress, Philippa, who later would have her eyes cut out for get, essentially plotting to kill a king. It was great. Really good political move, that. But that's more complicated. That's basically the plot to the second Witcher game. So we're not going to get into that. But that's kind of it f for them because they don't really do a lot prior. I mean, they're in very important moments, don't get me wrong. For instance, the Sorcerer of Ilgaforts and the Rectorus, who was kind of the head of the Sorceresses, if you want to put it like that, uh, to say her. These names are going to become relevant, by the way. I'm not just going to leave you hanging. If you don't know a lot about the Witcher, don't fear. We will talk about it, I promise. I'm just throwing names at you that you're going to forget, but pay attention, I'll be testing you. Uh, to say her rallied a group to go and fight the Battle of Sodden to slow down the Nilfgaardian Empire's advance into the north because evil empires, uh, who needs them? And they were able to do so and Nilfgaard lost a war, sadly. I mean, I kind of almost stand with Nilfgaard. If they weren't such bastards, I'd be on their side. I'd wear a black t-shirt with a sun on it. If you don't know, the sun on black is their um, heraldry. It's the sort of flag they have. And, you know, lacks imagination, Nilfgaard. See me in my office. 10 out of 10 must do better. But I don't really have a lot to say about the magic on The Witcher because, again, there's not the most information available on it. Now, there are different schools of magic like pyromancy and cryomancy and aeromancy and cheesomancy. I'll be honest, I can't remember the name of the last one, but there is literally a dude in the Wild Hunt who is a wizard of cheese. So it kind of tells you that the magic is extensive and weird but i think it needs more building blocks placed under it i think we need to know more about how it works and then it will roll together into a lovely little uh, ball but that's pretty much it for magic so we're going to move along and talk about a different kind of magic a special kind of magic we're going to talk about the children of the elder blood which i'm going to summarize it it all began when a very powerful elven wizard lady when oh, there's a very powerful human wizard there. Kind of want a bit of that. You know what I mean? How awkward was that? I mean, I feel dirty for just winking at the microphone. Anyway, they had a child who had the blood of the elder blood, which was great. Again, not a huge amount is explained in a lot of my readings. I mean, the information is out there on this one, actually. I just can't summarise it in a short, concise fashion right here. Um, like I said, I'm trying to keep this as a broad stroke summary for someone who's new to The Witcher, because I'm throwing a lot of terms, a lot of names at you, but it'll all make sense. Trust me, it, it will someday. One day, uh, I'll have a couple about this, and you'll go, ah, he was right, it does make sense now. But the two main ones that we know of now are Pavetta, who is the princess of the Jewel of the North Sintra, and Ciri, uh, Princess Cirilla, who is Pavetta's daughter, both of whom, whom, whom possess the Elder Blood within them, which is an incredibly potent magical force. I can summarise this by saying Ciri is also known as the Lady of Space and Time, because she has a habit of teleporting everywhere and dimension hopping, which within The Witcher is redonkulous. Unicorns can do it, because unicorns are basically gods for some reason. Don't ask me how. I don't get it. So, that's that. They're very, very powerful magically. They are probably the most powerful magic users within the world of the Witcher that are human. Obviously, there are 
very powerful creatures. So I'm going to go back to vampires because there is one that is relevant to here. There is one known as the Unseen Elder. Now he's incredibly ancient, very short-tempered, he's a very moody old man, and he's just waiting. He's waiting for the sec for another conjunction of spheres to take them home. At least that's what I've gathered from the implication. I think he's waiting for uh, the vampires to be able to go back to the home plane, but that's going on a tangent. He is also very powerful. I think he's got more up his sleeve than we know. I mean, the only display of power we see in the game is the only media he's been in is the Wild Hunt, uh, Blood and Wine, is he is able to kill Geralt with a single blow that Geralt does not even see coming, which is incredibly difficult to do to a Witcher. As I've said, they are ridiculously good monster hunters. But Ciri also possesses this ability to teleport. She is a very adept swordsman, and they have this ridiculous power within them that, if left unchallenged, uh, can rip holes in space and time, or can even be used to rip holes in space and time intentionally. And this is um, how they, how Ciri in particular travels around, staying under the radar. She just teleports all over the place, like, ah, can't catch me if you can't catch me, I guess. I need to think about things I'm saying. Sorry, I start rambling. But that, in essence, is uh, the two major children of the Elder Blood. Now, Pavetta, Ciri's mother, we know a little bit less about her because she's not a focal point of the game, which is obviously the biggest medium for the story now. Um, she is actually married to the Emperor of Nilfgaard before he became Emperor. Who, who would have thought? She is a child of surprise. And then her daughter becomes a child of surprise, which I explained earlier in the Witcher segment. Um, she has a child with the Emperor of Nilfgaard, which makes Ciri the heiress of Nilfgaard, the biggest empire in the world. So she is truly a gifted child, uh, very gifted people. Now, a good example, I'm going to keep referring to the show, by the way, because I think it's one a lot of, you, a lot of people will have seen, and it's quite recent still is that Pavetta, just out of anger, is able to level an entire room full of heavily armoured people, which is great. Um, Ciri as well is capable of great feats, as we also see in the show when she sunders the earth, I believe in the first episode. But that is just the scratching the surface of what they can do. There is an event, I'm going to go into my storytelling voice, there is an event known as the White Frost, an interdimensional ice age that will come to all worlds. And it can be only be stopped by a child of the Elder Blood. So, the Elder Blood essentially allows them to avert an interdimensional apocalypse, as well as travelling through different dimensions at will. Now, a, a little point I have to make. It says Ciri is the Lady of Space and Time. I get space, she moves freely through it. I have... N I, I, can't think of an example of her time traveling now she does go to a world where they have flying cars and like helmets made of metal and lasers and stuff like that but i don't think that's time travel i think she's just going to a different world i'm not sure i think she's just traveling the dimensions but it could be time travel for all i know what do i know i'm sitting in a shed so that'll probably be it for the elder blood section um it's a big topic within the world, and again, much like magic, it's too big to summarise in this one little podcast. This is getting on towards 40 minutes. I think we spent about 15 minutes just talking about witches, which is great. And I obviously sort of just... I like to have a conversation. I like to think someone's out there listening, just sort of thinking that I'm talking to them. I like to have that feeling. So we're going to move along and do some summarisation of some of the major characters within the world. So... We're going to start with the big boy, the big daddy, the Mac daddy, Geralt of Rivia. The most famous, the poster boy for the franchise, played by Henry Cavill. I'll be honest, I really shat on that decision when it was first announced. But honestly, he is the highlight of the TV show. He plays Geralt perfectly, can't sing his praises enough, please marry me. Anyway... So, the character of Geralt of Rivia is the titular Witcher. He is probably the best Witcher in the world. He is the most enhanced. Having a, at a younger age, he took to the trial so well, they put experimental trials on him that made him even better than a Witcher. Um, which is also what turned his hair white, hence the name 
the White Wolf, which is a pretty good nickname, let's face it. He does have other titles, though. He's also known as the Butcher of Blaviken. Um, that's a story for another day as well, though, because, again, brief summary. But his adventures stretch far and wide from the southern Nilfgaardian Empire to the far reaches of the north, where he can find his home in Kaer Morhen, ancient fortress of the Witches of the Wolf, which he is part of, along with his brother Witches, Lambert and Eskel, and his father figure and trainer and mentor, Vesemir. Very old, very, very experienced Witcher. He may not be as spry as he used to be, but he will jam a knife in you and let you break his neck for fun because he's a beast and we all love him. But Geralt is a great character. He has a weird charisma to him that he's so sullen and gruff that people just love him. I, I think it's his brutal honesty. He's always 100% him. Now, unfortunately for Geralt, he is always caught up in events greater than himself, politics. The child of surprise, being Ciri, has dragged him into world-ending and world-changing events. He's got connections all over the world. He knows a lot of people, and a lot of people know him. At one point in the story, Geralt does lose his memory and has to find himself again. I am going to say now, he does have a love interest. I know, it's amazing. Um, Yennefer of Vengerberg, who he has bound himself to, and get this, with a gin. And he made a wish. Now, I'll be honest, guys. If you have to wish yourself to be with a girl, she might not be the one for you. But hey, I think they make a great couple. Now, he does have other trysts in the course of the story, like with Triss Merigold. Again, this is all, a lot of this is dependent on choices in the games. Um, he's a bit of a womanizer. He likes brothels. He likes beer. And he likes fighting monsters. Killing monsters. Um, again, a terrible guilt impression. I'm going to have to work on that. Maybe spray some, I don't know, aerosol in my throat. Get it gruff enough for it. Now, like all witches, Geralt carries two swords. A steel sword for men and a silver sword for monsters. Because as I've said, silver is effective against magical monsters. Steel is good against non-magical beings. So there's that. The whole story takes place around Geralt. He's the main character. You could argue that Ciri is the other main character when you get further along the line. And yeah, I just like the character. But moving along from that, we have the character of Yennefer of Vengerberg, uh, who is a very, very powerful sorceress, who once upon a time in her early life was a hunchback and is transformed by the, uh, the Brotherhood of Sorcerers, not the Lodge, that didn't exist yet, by the Brotherhood of Sorcerers, into a beautiful lady. Although by Geralt's estimation, she's very pretty, but not beautiful. Which Geralt says in an inner monologue um, in The Last Wish. So, what about Yennefer? Why is she important? Well, she acts as the mother figure to Ciri, to Geralt's father figure to Ciri. Although they're not always together as a couple, and she is a bit bitchy to him sometimes. Let's be honest, guys. When you first played The Wild Hunt, you picked Triss. We all did. It's okay. There's no shame. She is the wrong choice because Triss is lovable and great, but Yennefer is who I think Geralt's meant to be with because um, she does love him. But, very powerful sorceress. She's been at so many major events and her sole focus originally was to have power. That later changed because sorceresses live for extraordinarily long times and much like witches, they are infertile. Eventually, Yennefer felt the desire to have a child and sought to reverse the enchantment she went under to make herself very attractive and make herself ageless so she could bear children. She goes through a lot to deal with this. And it's in those moments you sort of see the heart of the character, that she's a bit of a bitch a lot of the time, but it's in when she lets someone through her armour, it's great. And her and Geralt have an on and off for a tremendous amount of time, and it's just brilliant. At this point, I was going to do a brief rundown of Ciri, or Cirilla, which I now realise is pointless, having already covered that uh, in the Pavetta Ciri Elderblood part. But, like I say, I'm probably going to do more about all of these characters. Like, complete, this is their story, bam, in a, however long it will take. It, You know, it's early days, everyone. I mean, this is the first actual episode. I haven't planned out everything. 
I haven't even planned out next week, if I'm honest. I think next week we'll probably do something about Warhammer, because I like Warhammer. I might do something about, you know, the races in Warhammer. So, another major character we have... Ah, yes, I brought myself back to point there. Damn right I did. Another major character would be the Emperor of Nilfgaard, Amir himself. Now, I do have his full name in front of me. I'm just really worried I'll pronounce it wrong, so I'm not even going to try. It's Amir. He is the white flame dancing on the barrows of his enemies. He is the Emperor of Nilfgaard. Brief summary. He is the father of Ciri. Um, He desires greatly to have her back, despite the fact that Geralt, by law of surprise, gets to keep her, because you can just take people's kids in The Witcher. Apparently it's no big deal. But he is probably the most powerful individual in the world. He commands huge armies, a huge empire. And although Nilfgaard has a history of dissident nobles that may prove to be his downfall, spoiler alert, depending on your outcome of the Witcher Wild Hunt, but you never know, you might get a good playthrough where good things happen. Now, he is ambitious, he's a bit of a bastard, but apparently he sort of mellows out when he's not Emperor anymore and the pressures of state is taken from him. Because unfortunately, again, Nilfgaard has a history of bad leaders and... His father, I think it was. I'll have to. You'll have to correct me, guys, because I'm again. I don't know everything. I don't have all of the. I don't have Wikia in front of me or anything. Well, I kind of do, but I'm not going to use it. But his father was killed by a usurper to the Nilfgaardian throne because, for being incompetent. Basically, he he was he just let the people starve. He managed the kingdom poorly, and he was killed by an officer in his army. But that's a very interesting story with a very interesting character for a different day. I'm going to say that a lot, but I feel like I've said that so many times. Amir eventually takes the throne, goes to all the Northern Kingdoms, conquers Sintra, and just starts conquering. He conquers the Kingdom of Temeria. He he just starts wrecking everyone. And he eventually is brought to a standstill by King Radovid of Redania, who attacks his own ally to conquer his kingdom, so he's got a bigger place to put his army basically a bigger army but after that it becomes very dependent on your choices in the games so i'll talk about that when i do the episode about nilfgaard on its own because i'm gonna have to go through them in turn depending on the choices you make in games so we're gonna carry on moving forward because this is getting pretty close to an hour and it's getting a bit long and we're going to go talk about the humble bard who graced to ride along with Geralt of Rivia. And then along came that song. It's Dandelion. Or Yaskir. Um, depending on your source, it'll be either Dandelion, Yaskir, or if you listen to the audiobook on Audible, Dandelion, which I disapprove deeply of. Uh, I believe in the actual Polish, his name is translated to Buttercup. So, one of my favourite characters, notorious womanizer, bard, Herald of Geralt, Geralt's best friend, whether he likes it or not. I love the character. He is the comedic relief of the group. Getting into all kinds of shenanigans, getting himself in trouble, and I don't have a lot to say about him because he there's not a lot to say about him other than just talk about his exploits, which, again, will take an entire podcast. But I love him. If you've ever listened to Toss a Coin to Your Witcher, um, yeah, stop. It's in your head forever now. Just accept it. Close your eyes. Drink your tea you made 50 minutes ago. And think about tossing a coin to your Witcher. O Valley of Plenty. Now, there are, other, there are other hugely important characters within the Witcher. So we've got Triss Merigold, Kira Metz, Philippa Eihart. That's just three sorcerers. I could talk about the, the three of them for another hour. Going through their exploits and what they're capable of. We've got Zoltan Cheve, another friend of Geralt's who's a dwarven warrior. He's great. Love him. There's many, many, many characters, and I don't have time to go through all of them. I'm just throwing names at you. I mean, you could just Google it, and you'll, yeah, you'll be able to Google it because the internet is a wonderful, wonderful thing we all love. So, I don't have much else to say about The Witcher now, unfortunately. Um, for the purposes of this episode and the fact that it's nearly an hour long now, it's getting towards too long. I'm just gonna sign off, and we're gonna relax for a minute. We're gonna, we're just gonna chill. We're going to tell a little story because I've been asking people on the old uh, Facebook to send me their tabletop game stories. And this is a segment that I really wanted to do and have wanted to do from the start. So I'm going to tell one. 
This was sent to me on uh, Facebook in an AD&D second edition group. So it's a second edition game uh, for Dungeon Dragons. So, there was a party that was all playing together. And one of the players created and was then playing a low-level thief. They were supposed to get in touch with a local thieves guild to find out some information on the city and on their quest going forwards. So the characters travelled to the docks of the city they were in. The, the, the original poster believes it was Kalimpur or any of the cities in the Sword Coast. So it could have been Baldur's Gate, Waterdeep, Neverwinter. Uh, those of you that play D&D will know these. Hopefully. Maybe. I don't know. At this point, they notice a warehouse that looks very questionable. And the experienced player with his new thief character... This is the bit I like most. It's an experienced player. So you might expect he'd try and blag his way into this warehouse. Maybe sneak in because he's a thief. He walks up to a big door that has a small sliding door. You know the kind where you slide it open and go, Password. In a shady way. He knocks on the door. And when someone answers, he simply says, loud and proud, Oh, mate. Is, uh, is this Thieves Guild? At which point he is pincushioned by arrows and quarrels like a porcupine, while the players and party all facepalm and burst into laughter. I actually laughed the first time I read that because I've done very, very similar things. <laughs> Especially when you're going from a high-level game to a low-level game, you kind of forget the fragility of your level. Um, I really appreciate uh, anyone who wants to send in a story. And I'll quite happily read it out. Hopefully I'm going to get some dramatic music to play in the background. Like some drums going dun 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 dun. And I'm going to start rambling for a minute now. Um, but that's all I have to say today guys. I still don't have an outro. I'm probably just not going to have one. Because quite frankly there's too much work coming up with things. And I'm, yeah we're going to leave it there. If anyone would like to get in touch. It's at letstalkfantasy93 at gmail.com. Because again. There is actually a podcast called Let's Talk Fantasy, and I think it's about football or something along those lines. So, very different mediums. But I really appreciate anyone who listens to this and enjoys it. Um, please do subscribe and follow and do all those other lovely things that everyone asks you to do every day. Or don't. I'm not your parent or guardian. I can't tell you what to do. I just hope you do. So, have a good one, guys. And take care of yourselves. Ta-da.